Hello, and welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I'm Nico Lapalusa, your host. If it's your first time here, I appreciate you taking the leap, giving us a try, trusting me with your time. And uh, yeah, let's recap a little bit. So I have a I have a mission, and it's kind of morphed into two. I was invited yesterday to participate in in a group meditation, a virtual group meditation, and it's all based off of a book called The Power of Eight. This caught my attention in a way because I've made like a commitment to the number eight in a way. My very first tattoo is an eight-pointed star. And the only reason I did that was I really wanted a tattoo. I wanted it to be simple. At the at the time, I'm like, yeah, simplicity will really hold up in time. And I got my first tattoo when I was like 20, 22 or something like that. And I got an eight-pointed star because it signified... I was reading all about alchemy. I did chemistry in college. I'm a chemist now. And uh, the the foundation of chemistry is alchemy. Alchemy is like more mysterious though because we knew far less when we were practicing alchemy. And the lore around alchemy is the transmutation of any substance into gold via the philosopher's stone and the elixir of immortality. Those were like two of the aims of like popularized alchemy. And I fucked with it a little bit, you know, a little bit of herbology. I remember taking, you know, thing, getting into harvesting things in my local area and either distilling them into tinctures or just ex- basic extraction of the of the like plant essence into alcohol that might sound complicated i don't mean to make it sound complicated i would take like a spruce tree and i would take the wax i would take some of the bark i would take th- some of the needles and then i would soak it in alcohol for many, many moons. And I would do different combinations. There's also things about creating ash and then reintroducing the ash. And there's all these different parts of the plant that when you break them down into like body, spirit, and salt or something, I don't know much about alchemy, but I was getting into it a little bit and I wanted a tattoo. And this eight-pointed star signified creation. And I was like, okay, I can justify getting a tattoo about creation. I'm a, I'm trying to be an artist in, in a way. At the time, it's like to create more than I consume. All this being said, it's kind of bound me to the number eight. I fucking love numbers. I do. I loved doing math. Like I liked math homework. Not not homework, but once I got into it, 
once I was like doing the math and I knew it, it offered like the perfect balance of challenge and fun, ease. I I legitimately loved math homework sometimes. And I I think I, I just learned from a young age that math is pattern recognition and being able to identify patterns in everything is advantageous. Like people talk about how math is everything. People talk about how music is math. And I like to look at music as, as patterns overlaid uh, and the complexity can get really intense. But for instance, I'm learning the guitar right now and you have six notes. They all sound or you have six strings and you have a B C D E F G. Yes. Six notes too. (laughs) And I'm learning how to like, identify them and I'm learning how to overlay them with each other. My point is, is I'm beginning to see the patterns that exist in, in guitar now. And it's like a new level of understanding. So instead of like saying math, I like to say pattern recognition. And when I was doing proper trigonometry, proper calculus and pre-calc in college, it's like, it was about identifying patterns maybe we'll have a whole mathematics episode. So I was invited to this meditation by a friend and he, he's a music guy too, makes a lot of soundscapes, but he he gets into like how frequencies affect mood and, you know, can create certain healings like sound healer type of type of person. And he was reading this book called the power of eight, which I haven't read, but It's all about how we can manifest in group settings, how when you give, you receive, how there's evidence of people meditating together and pulling someone in the center, making them the center of focus, pouring all of your attention and love into them, and then it reciprocating back or people becoming aware of their own aspects of themselves um, through this practice. And it was something that he's been interested in experimenting with. So he invited me to join this group. There was eight people. I think that was intentional. He didn't say it, but it's, I mean, that's, you know, it seems pretty intentional. Also on the number eight, um, I had eight chemotherapy sessions, which I was supposed to have 12. They, they, the prognosis was 12 and after listening to my body and after praying and meditating on it after the eighth one, I decided that that was sufficient, sufficient for me. And, and the, the, the tricky part of numerology is you can do this with every number because nine is a sense of completion um, in like toroidal math, which toroidal math is the math of like spirals, toruses. And, and since spirals are kind of a foundational shape of nature as we know it, um, 
three, six, and nine plays an important part at, at the structure of life as we know it. So I've I I've played around with threes and sixes and nines in finance and and in all sorts of places in my life, seeing three, three, three. And it's the problem with it is it's not a perfect science. It does feel a little superstitious. You know, it's not like I see three, three, three in a day and it's like, oh, my spirit guide, Tomas is, is with me. Maybe it is and I just haven't uncovered it yet, but it's kind of hard to extrapolate where number, how to use numbers perfectly because they all seem to have significance. For example, four is significant. Seven is significant in the Bible. There's seven days of the week. That can be a sense of completion. Seven. Uh, four it can be bound up in the elements and there's four archangels and there's four directions. Um, five has shit too. <laughs> you know, I people love fives because fives are clean. They're fucking clean numbers. I don't know any much of the the spookiness behind them. But I've committed to this eight, at least with a physical representation of it. It shows up all over my my phone number, for example. Well, it has four fours in it, which is two eights. <laughs> so you see how it's like a little bit of reaching for this numerology, and yet I still fucking love it. I still play the game. I'll still go to a, a, a locker room at a gym and I'll pick a number that I like. And if and if it's double digit or triple digit numbers, I'll add them all up and reduce them and that's the number and like and that's the significance of the number. So for example, like well 32, 31, 32. 3 plus 2 is a 5. So 32 is another way of say, of expressing a 5. Now, it's also like 30 is three plus zero is another way of expressing three, but it's also three tens. It's also five sixes. It's also six fives. So there's lots and lots of wiggle room. And as meaning making machines, we can really, it's more of a game. I look at it like a game. It's a fun game. Sometimes it's been useful and I use it in finance, but it's kind of like superstition, a little bit like witchcraft. Unadulterated wizardry. So we get to this group yesterday and it's in the morning and uh, eight of us are, are logged on and he talks to us about the power of meditating together and how we're going to put someone, someone has to offer up an intention and we will meditate on that person, on their intention, and we'll all just pour our focus into them. And how this has a reciprocal effect, how giving this attention to someone will improve our own lives, how we're all connected through this field. And it came to the time, he's like, all right, someone offer up an intention. Now, I, was, I wasn't the youngest person there, but... I, maybe the youngest bottom two 
I might have been the youngest person there. So just because of that, I'm like, and it was my first time being with the group. It's like, I don't need to offer up anything. I can definitely, you know, there's some people who are 70 and 80 in this group. Like, I'd rather pray for their health and well-being and like whatever they're going, like whatever anyone's going through. Because all I can think about is I write goals almost every day. It's like part of like a manifestation thing. And uh, actually, I kind of want to get So how I write goals is you, you've everyone's been exposed to it by now, but I'll just give you a brief synopsis. When, when writing goals, you write as if you already have it. Pray as if you already have received it. Like that's like a Jesus line. But when you pray as if you already have it with gratitude, there seems to be an empowering of the goal. And I don't know if it's because I'm getting to a certain age in my life or I'm just kind of understanding how to use my own power or use my own influence to obtain certain things or I just know how to speak to people a little bit better. But this quote-unquote manifestation has been speeding up. I feel like I'm kind of entering this primeness of like my own power on this earth or I'm blossoming like into a my, I'm flowering in, in a in a way and um I basically break up goals into four categories health wealth love happy love slash happiness and adventure and health is pretty self-explanatory but I also have movement goals in there so like earning my black belt in jujitsu or if I want to work on a one-arm handstand or, you know, round off back, you know, I'll incorporate that stuff like function as well as like my body's health. Wealth is pretty explanatory. So whatever projects I'm working on or just calling in a certain amount of money, calling in money. And then love and happiness. So this is like my soul's goals, my, um, I'll have a lot of musical goals in there. Like I want to like create beautiful music um, that up inspires and uplifts or, or I would write it. I create, I'm thankful for the ability to create beautiful music for a beautiful singing voice, for the ability to recognize patterns and overlay them in a way that makes people dance, smile, feel joy or uh, become self-aware. Like I'll write stuff like that. And then adventures like travel or uh, sometimes I'll throw like the jujitsu stuff in adventure. And um, it's just kind of like, this is like my structure. And it's best to include some specific stuff. So like with, with money, I'm usually specific with the figures. And then you include a specific by when date as well. That's how I've been told to do it. That's just how I do it. That always hasn't been perfect. That always hasn't lined up. In fact, this technique isn't 100% for me lining up. But some things that I have written and have returned to have either been empowered or have shown up in ways that were unimagined like three years later or whenever the timeline is. So I write specific goals, including numbers that are quantifiable, um, 
I, I write them in, in a way that I already have them in the positive tense. Um, I write them in a timely fashion with a timestamp. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And specific. Specific as possible. So that's that's a little bit of the goal. So my so I'm I get to this group yesterday and we're ready to set an intention and I have a bag full of intentions because I write them down and like they're that's that's another really cool part about it is like if you're doing a business venture being able to say your idea is is important. You have to be able to tell your brand's story at the right time. And the more reps you get telling your brand story, when it comes to the time where you are, you have to tell your story to someone where it'll actually make a difference, you've already said it a thousand times. So you can say your story, your mission, your brand in a way where people will support it. People will get behind it. They're like, oh, this person really has thought about this and the message is clear. So by writing the goals, even if it's there's no magic behind it, there is something about being able to articulate your goals so when the time comes for articulation, for persuasion, to get people on board, you will have that skill set generated. And maybe that's a healthier way of looking at it instead of looking at it so magically. You know, There is some magic and mystery there that I don't understand, but maybe that's not helpful for everyone. And there was just silence. There was crickets. No one was willing to step up. So I unmute my mic and I'm like, okay, I have something. But it's kind of altruistic. It's not exactly has to do with me. It's more of like an overall goal. Something I want to see in the world. And uh, they're like, shoot, yeah, go for it. And I, and I told them, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know this, but if it's your first time, I have a very specific goal of restoring the American bison population back to the Great Plains. The bison population, the bison was a keystone species of this land, of this nation. There were 60 million plus bison back in the 1800s, who, which were responsible for restoring the soil the shit and piss the poop and pee of bison was up to four feet deep in the soil they would poop they would walk they would stomp it down poop and stomp it down this gave the soil nutrition this caused our grasslands to grow this helped roots run deep which stabilized the soil which allowed rainwater to be cleansed before entering the waterways. So healthy soil, healthy water, cycle, healthy air. The cycle repeats itself. Or it's a cycle, rather. The bison population was decimated in an attempt to destroy the native peoples of this land. The native peoples were completely dependent on the bison. They even were nomadic, moving with the herds so that they could eat, clothe, um, make tools, live. They lived with the bison. So 
the Europeans took away the food supply. They took away the life of the bison in order to take away the life of the native peoples and claim the land. They didn't understand the devastation that they were doing to the planet. They didn't understand the impact the bison had on restoring the land, on keeping the land healthy for generations to come. Alan Savory, who I recommend his TED Talk. I know it's another TED Talk, but this one's good. And it really shows you like data, real data, real pictures of the reversing of desertification. Land is becoming more and more desert. The Sahara Desert was a lush green, um, not forest, grasslands like the Sahara, which has become desertified over time. Well, they're showing that introducing packard animals, animals like elephants, animals like cattle, into these desert areas are actually bringing them back into grasslands, are returning desert into grass, into green. So bringing the bison back to the Great Plains specifically, because it's where I'm from, but it's also where we've taken most of the land and monocropped it. We've put one crop on hundreds of thousands of acres over many years. And this has caused the soil to diminish and erode to a point where some soil is not even growable anymore. So there are hundreds of thousands of acres of government subsidized land just to have nothing going on on this land because the land is ungrowable. And instead of repairing it, it's just being, they're just leaving it and leaving it will do something, but it's, it won't do what the bison, what cattle would do to the land which is eat the grasses, poop, fertilize the soil, allow the grass to grow, eat it again so that nutrients can reach the soil again and the, and the cycles goes on. So the bison is, is, is pivotal for the health of our land. And the Midwest is a great place to start because it has all this land that is basically becoming useless, unable to grow upon. Um, because of monocrop, monocropping. Furthermore, bison is an amazing, amazing source of food. If you've never seen a bison, but you've seen a Toyota Camry, then that's the same size. If you haven't seen a bison, picture um, a Toyota Camry, but taller. <laughs> They're fucking huge. And the meat is, is delicious. It's so nutritious. And bringing them back to a stable population, a, a much more stable population, will it'll impact the food supply, the food chain, getting people healthy food. It'll repair the, the earth, the soil, the water. It'll bring the wolves back, which are also keystone species in forest development. They, in Yellowstone, they killed the wolves because they thought they were getting too unruly. 
Why do people do this? I just don't understand. Like, yeah, okay, wolves like ate some dogs. There was a lot of them. So you go on a mass extinction? Like, you don't see, like, how are people, they don't see impact. Who makes these decisions? How stupid were we? Are we? It's hard to imagine. Like, I, I, I genuinely like to give people, I think people are smart. I think people are caring and kind and wise in their heart. It's like, how does that wisdom get covered up so much? Like, I think of a wolf, a wolf, a coyote did eat my dog. I didn't go on a coyote killing spree. I still actually really have a lot of respect for the coyote. My new dog now, I just go out with them. When, when I let them out, I'm just out with them all the time. Most of the time. I don't hate coyotes. I don't want them all dead. I'm happy that they're around. So they killed all the wolves in in Yellowstone. And this caused bunnies. This caused deer, the population. This caused to explode. And what this meant was that new life, seedlings were being eaten. There was seedlings didn't have a chance to grow because they were food for deer, for, for rabbits, for all these smaller vegetarian creatures. So the forest was unable to regenerate because the wolves weren't there. So now they've been reintroducing wolves, oopsies. And this is what I want to do to the bison population. The bison population is, is at around 30,000 now. It was at 60 million. It was brought down to a thousand out of spite. Genocide, 60 million to a thousand. There's been no human genocide that's been 60 million. Sorry, 59,900. Yeah. That would be the biggest genocide the world's ever seen. And yet, it's exactly what happened. Over the course of a couple decades, the the bison population was whittled down to a thousand. And then the Dust Bowl happened. How can this happen? Well, because the soil is not stabilized with with bison. It's not packed down. There's not the feces to to feed the soil. So now the air the the soil is brittle. And the dust bowl. California was ungrowable. And many people suffered. Many settlers suffered because of this. So my goal and my intention that I write down every day, that I think about every day, because it's important to also keep these intentions in your mind as much as possible, or so I've been told, and I believe that. Keeping it in my, keeping it in my sights, keeping it in my mind, just talking about it. And I bring it up to the group, and I said it actually more articulated than I just even said it. And... I said, okay, is this, a, is this a good intention? And one person's like, oh my God, absolutely. 
other person was like, yeah, let's go for it. And another guy who was, I think 70, because he said, 60 years ago, I wrote a paper on the genocide of the bison and how it resulted in the Dust Bowl. So this feels really relevant to me. <laughs> I was like, cool, everyone's on board. So the the intention had to be, okay, everyone picture, it had to be focused on me though. So the intention ended up being, what can I do? How can I have clarity in my path to help restore the bison population? Like, what's that going to look like? Because I've been speaking this intention, but I don't know exactly how I'm going to help. I don't know how I'm contributing. I know by talking about it, there's something, but I actually want some physical, I want some like put my boots on the ground, if you will, and like get some land going. So my ultimate, my ultimate idea, because not only will the bison restore the land, not only will they supply healthy food, restore the water and the air, but I think bringing the bison back will also contribute to healing ancestral trauma of the native peoples. This is more abstract, and I understand if you don't want to follow along here. But in my heart of hearts, in my in the types of prayers that I do, this is what the native peoples were praying for in the ghost dance. If you don't know ghost dance, look it up. I've talked about it on this podcast a lot. This is what they've been praying for. This is what they danced for. This is what they called out for. I didn't know that when I first set this intention, but it became clear to me, it was given to me after after setting the intention. So getting the... It, it will be a form of of repair, of healing, of the ancestral, of of the trauma that lives on the same land that we live on in in the United States of America. Restoring the bison is a way to restore. Of course, it'll never undo, but it will. It's a step in healing, and because of this, what I really want to do and. This is kind of dances with wolves and I don't know how it's going to happen and I don't know if it will, but the tribes, the native peoples, the nations and the United States, I want to give them a thousand, a hundred thousand bison to roam their lands. The native peoples, I don't know how much land they have. Not much. And it's not connected. But even if they have a million acres total, even if they have 100,000 acres total, that can support a couple herds of bison. And just giving them the bison to to return to the ways that, that they in, in somehow and in a good way to repair that relationship for the native nations, which have been decimated, completely decimated to somehow regain a sense of pride, ownership and connection with the land. Like this is the goal. And then I want to, take the land that has been monocropped and that is no longer growable and somehow package it into a large, large space, a hundred thousand acres, a million acres, 
and put and just start building the throwing wild bison on there bison 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 of course they can still be hunted you know with tags once a year it can be it can be regulated and people can can claim the food during the season but first building up the population getting the bison on the land maybe giving them 10 years to regenerate to create some generations to repair the land and then maybe the hunting season can start and the food generation can start but i don't know how it's going to happen i don't know how i can best contribute and so i was looking for this clarity so the, the goal was that we were all in, in like what can nico do how can he gain clarity in his mission to help restore the bison population the american bison population back to the great plains so that was our intention and we were instructed now this is we were instructed to put me we were imagine we were all together in a circle meditating put me in the center and pour light or whatever you thought would be helpful onto me so a little uncomfortable from so okay so we get we get started he puts on this this music he's a music guy he put on a certain frequency that supposedly is helps expedite this process or helps get people into this trance like state it was beautiful music it actually did really but the first five minutes of this 20 15 20 minute meditation i'm like uh even though i wasn't in the center of a real circle i'm like being the center of attention i was trying to deny it basically the first five minutes i'm like priming myself to be feel worthy to receive this these intentions this attention from people and eventually i kind of settled in and what actually helped me was this intention is for the land it's for the children it's children's children sure i can like this is like my altruistic goals i have these selfish goals which I'd be happy to pray on or, or ask for or help with too. But with this particular goal, it was easy for me to kind of start receiving because I would just put it back into the ground in my mind's eye. So I would receive this attention, this light or whatever, and then I would just kind of like let it go to the earth. And I sat there and I actually got, I felt my heart space a lot. He was encouraging us to feel, focus into our heart and i actually felt sensation happening there for better it felt beautiful and uh i was just able to kind of sit and receive and i really fell into a meditative groove where i was just kind of being and it was really really beautiful it felt really nice once i let myself receive the attention from everyone which it's so funny how I would try to deny that, like, like literally shying away from, from this attention or like thinking of excuses as to why I'm not the person to help this mission, like backing out. It was like, I was being tested. It's like, I finally like just came to, I'm like, I'm worthy. I'm enough. 
I'm enough and I can help and I can do this and I can receive, receive. And just sitting and receiving and it felt really beautiful. Then we had like a little recap afterwards and one person said that they pictured, they had like a lot of people had nice imagery. Some people get really beautiful visuals and this person had a visual of us all in a circle, white light dome pouring into me in the center and then recirculating back through everyone else in the circle. It's like this cycle. And then eventually it turned into the light was cycling in and out of us, but then up and down too, like a light from the heavens to the earth. Another guy I was talking about how he saw bison and he saw herds of bison and another, another woman saw herds of bison, but they all had smiles on their face. And like they were smiling, like, like they were thankful for the attention we were giving them to help bring them back and restore them. Actually, that feels kind of good right now to say, to like picture like bison, like smiling and like thankful for being considered. And, um, another person didn't have imagery, but they had certain sensations and, I thought that first person who shared the light going in and out and then it going up and down midway through, I felt like it could have coincided with me receiving, learning how to receive. And then once I was able to receive, sending it back to the earth, it seemed like a nice little coincidence. And, uh, and so we did this. It was a really nice little cool meditation it's going to happen like every Thursday we're going to do it. I, I think I pr- I'm pretty sure people are bringing different intentions every week and uh, I'll get to give next time instead of just being the focus of the intention and receiving. I genuinely did feel good and I feel good talking about it. Um, what will come of it and the timeline in which it'll come. Who knows? Who knows? For now, I'm going to continue talking about this goal and until maybe someone who's more qualified or just has, is just the right person, you know, can actually get bisons on the earth. Because that's what I want. I want to get, I want to see bisons on the earth and maybe talking about it will help. And I hope it does. Or if I was setting goals, I am already thankful for the bison that are roaming the earth, the millions of bison that are roaming the earth and, and restoring the land and soil. Mm. I wonder what the, I know bison are important for this land, but I know there's cattle all through Africa and there's packard antlers. Elephants are considered ruminants or packards or basically animals that have like more than one stomach. They have a, they fertilize the soil in a particular way. You guys know about cow manure and how it's really good at growing certain things. And there, these animals are, are extremely important. I'm trying to think of like the cattle animal that's of Asia. I'm sure there's just like cows with funny horns or really cool horns or whatever. But I'm like thinking of like Thailand or 
Saudi Arabia or, or the Middle East, like camels would be considered that, but I feel like camels are only domesticated. Are there wild camels out there? I feel kind of ignorant of the, of, uh, the Middle East. I've been there once. I've been to, um, Dubai. I've been to Dubai one time and that was, I lived in Thailand for a few months and on the way home you can fly east or west and I flew, uh, west from Thailand, which my, I stopped in Dubai for, for 24 hours. And, uh, there's a large difference, a contrast between the vibes of Thailand and the vibes of Dubai. Thailand is like music festival vibes in the terms of like, there's like a general relaxation. Sure. Like Bangkok and like the cities, like people take themselves seriously. People do amazing things in Thailand. There's business and commerce and all that stuff. But I was living on island life on Copenhagen and there's just a relaxation. You've there's an island life vibe. And there's beaches everywhere. And there's property on the beachfront. But in Thailand, you can walk to the beach literally through a business. You can walk through a restaurant, through a hotel to get to the beach. And it's not a thing. It's not even an acknowledgement. It's just you there's the beach. Go, go ahead. So I arrived after living the island life in Thailand and I'm, I'm like a backpacker, haven't had a haircut, scruffy, whatever. I land in Dubai and I get off the plane and I get pulled over to get searched. I'm like the only white dude. And it's like, oh, this is what it's like. Oh, okay. It's like, I guess I deserve this, you know, being the only white person. Yeah, I guess just a man alone. Like, I felt like I, you know, just a guy traveling alone is more likely to get pulled out of line. But it was funny. They, like, pulled no one out except for me in, like, a plane of, like, 300, 400 people. (laughs) And they pulled me right out and, like, searched my stuff. And it was like just dirty clothes I've been wearing, but I did have like an art set and I kept, this is when I, I brought acid to Thailand and I didn't take it all. Like I lived, I lived there for a couple months and like I brought like nine, 10 hits of acid and uh, I took like four or five of them over the course of the months. And that means I had four or five left. And I kept it in a, I had a colored pencils box and the colored pencils had, you could remove like the little holder that holds, holds each individual pencil. And I taped it to the bottom of that, to the tin. And when they were searching me, they opened it up and I'm like, oh shit, I legitimately might be going to prison for bringing acid to Dubai. This probably isn't going to go well. And uh, they didn't find it. Thank God. I, I probably would have been in prison. They're pretty strict about shit. 
especially smuggling drugs cross country as a white person. It's just, mm. so that was like the first little sense of, it wasn't racism. It was profiling. It is racism. I guess they picked me because of how I looked. I'm kind of glad I've experienced it. Like if you've never traveled, you maybe have never had the opportunity to just like experience the other side. And not that this is in comparison to like what a like a black person experiences not every day. I'm not going to do them like that. What black people can experience in America on a regular basis. You know, to just to see it, just to be on the other side, to feel that discomfort of like being profiled and like discriminated against. So I got discriminated against and I, I leave now in, in Thailand, you don't trust in different places of the world. You trust the taxi transportation's a thing. You, you either go all in on taxis or you don't go with the taxis. You figure out, you know, other means of transportation because they'll take you for loops. And especially if you're a foreigner and in Thailand, it's, it's more like, you don't rely on the taxi so much. There's people, dude, Thailand is one of a kind. Like there's people driving around that you can just ask for rides. People are so giving and like no rush. It's just like a simple but happy life. It's the land of smiles and it literally is the land of smiles. In Dubai, I, I, I walk out of the airport and a guy just walks up to me. He's like, hey, you need a ride somewhere? I'm like, yeah, because this is cow it kind of was done in Thailand. He kind of just took the ride that was given and he wasn't a taxi guy. He was like, had a private car and I was like, okay, whatever. I know about Uber. It's no big deal. I, I say, I want to go to a hostel. Okay. No problem. He spoke good. He spoke decent English. He takes me. I look up a hostel. I'm like, I want to go here. Oh, okay. Hey, let's, um, let's go. Uh, let's go here first. Um, okay. Just kind of going with the flow, not putting my foot down. He brings me to like his uncle's hotel and it was a terrible hotel. Just like so run down and they show me this room. I'm like, okay, like how much are we talking here? It's like, it's like full of shag carpeting and smells like urine. I'm like, okay, how much? Are we talk? And they're like, it'll be like $200 a night. I'm like, oh no, I don't have that, that this is not this. I'm not doing this. They get mad at me for not accepting the, for not wanting to go to the hotel that he brought me to without me asking. And he starts yelling at me and, and he's, I get back in his car for some reason. I'm like, no man, bring me to this hostel. It's right here. It's $9 a night. This is what I want. Okay, okay. Drives me to another place that's not the hostel. I have GPS on my phone. Bro, where are you taking me? Takes me to another place. No, I'm not going here. Take me to this hostel. He literally is not taking me. He won't. He refuses to take me. I'm in Dubai. It's not like you can... It wasn't in a place where I could flag down a cab. It's like a, it's just like a, a huge city, but it's like, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's these amazing, amazing buildings, 
And then it's kind of like, oh, I, I don't know. I was only there for 24 hours, but I'm not in a place where I can f- hail a taxi or anything like that. And I, I come to realize that you can't just hail a taxi on the street. You have to like be in a place and they have to call you a taxi and taxis are really reliable. I finally get this guy to drop me close to where, like a mile or two away from where I, I wanted to be from a hostel. I'm like, I'm getting out. Like, fuck you, man. You took advantage of me. Like driving me around for, for a couple hours, just not taking me where I asked him to go. He asked me if I needed a ride. I was, I was at that point, I was like scared. I'm like, why are you doing this? He's like, oh, it'll be $100. I'm like, $100 for you to not take me where I want to go? For you to drive me around to places I didn't want to go and try to take advantage of me? Absolutely not. And then he starts getting very upset, starts yelling at me. And I'm like, okay, I'm in a new place. I don't speak the language. If this guy calls the cops, I'm going to jail. I'm the one that's going to jail. I take out a $20 bill, I grab my stuff, I throw it at at his car, and I think I cussed at him, like, fuck you, man, get the fuck out, like, be gone. I'm not paying him no $100, and I just start walking away. And nothing happened from that, it was just like, so uncomfortable for that, (laughs) to go from Thailand, land of smiles, to be put in a place and like, be too trusting, and then be taken advantage of. And then screamed at because a guy who offered me a ride didn't take me to where I needed to go. And then tried to charge me $100. It was a bad taste. It was a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, why am I doing 24 hours? I booked my flight on purpose to have 24 hours in Dubai. I'm like, okay. I'm going to do something. So I get swimsuit and I find my way to the beach. I don't know how. I must have walked miles to the beach. And it's crazy there. Well, first off, unlike Thailand where you can just have beach access, I had to walk like an extra mile just to find a place where I can get access to the beach. Because you couldn't enter a hotel to go to the beach unless you had a wristband they would literally there's armed security guards outside of every hotel that you couldn't cross through a restaurant you couldn't cross through anywhere you i could see the beach to my right like through windows and i couldn't get there for a mile until i found this one little alley that was like public access I finally like squirm my way through and and the beach is beautiful in a way like there's like oil rigs in the distance but Dubai is like this technology mecca like the buildings are fucking crazy skyscrapers on the beach how often do you see skyscrapers on the beach rarely never so I'm at this beach, there's sec- there's skyscrapers compared to like Thailand where there's not a skyscraper in sight on the beach at least because Bangkok's in, this, in, in the middle of the land. Not a skyscraper in sight in Thailand. And then and I'm in this place where there's skyscrapers where everyone, there's just a vibe of like, what the fuck are you doing here? Don't like, no one's open, no one's welcoming. 
just the contrast. The oh, the water was nice. The beach was nice. I saw camels walking on the beach, like people riding camels on the beach. And it's like it's just kind of like a trip. So such a contrast to Thailand. And there's this little work outdoor workout gym, and I and I go there, and I end up talking to some people. They end up being expatriates, ex Americans, and they were really nice to me. And they brought me to this like awesome little fish spot that night for dinner. And it turned around, but it turned around because I met some Americans who like empathize for me, and they're like, "Yeah, man, it's hard out here. Like people, it's a way different vibe out in out in Dubai." And I was really thankful for them um, for taking me out to dinner and having someone to talk to. And and, and they're, just, they're great. I actually am still friends with them on Facebook. But Dubai, I don't need to go back per se. I don't really want to. I'd go to like Egypt or Saudi Arabia, but hmm, might be tough. Just might be tough. I almost prefer like Southeast Asia or... I don't know, people a little bit more relaxed. So I don't think camels are are going to return the desert of the Sahara Desert. I wonder if the Sahara Desert can be reversed into a grasslands. I think that would be a huge. That'd be like Nobel Prize stuff to reverse the like portions of the desert to grasslands to like restore like 30% more of the grasslands to the earth and to stop desertification. Maybe then people would be a little bit nicer in Dubai. It was only a couple people I met. I'm sure there's tons of nice people. And I only spent a small time there. Bueno. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sticking around. And uh, if you have ideas of how to support the initiative to uh, bring bison back, please reach out. I'm so receptive to people reaching out. I will respond to you no matter what. If you like the show, you know, give us five stars on Spotify, Apple, anywhere podcasts are found. Leave us a review. It helps. It helps more than you know. And uh, thank you so much for your support. This has been The Goodwind. Goodbye.